Hello and welcome to Beer and Money, a financial fireside chat for tech professionals. We work to simplify your finances so that you can enjoy your life. Now here are your hosts, Ryan Burkwell and Alex Collins. Hey everybody, welcome back to Beer and Money. I am your host, Ryan Burklow. Allow me to introduce my co-host, Alex. I can't do anything without putting it into a spreadsheet columns. Hey now, I do plenty of things without spreadsheets. So in today's episode, episode three, we're going to be talking about, you know, now that you're making money, what is it you're going to do with it? And so... You know, the, the simple answer, frankly, is, is what, what is your order of operations? Like, what's important to you from a financial standpoint? So what are the four steps when it comes to finance 101? Yeah, absolutely. Just like math, finances have some basic order of operations. Now, unlike math, where it is you always do X first, Y second, Z third, this is the basic order of operations and usually we wind up doing a little bit of a a little bit of b a little bit of c before we you know fully max stuff out um so in general the order of operations first protect what we've got protect against our worst threats first protect our biggest assets and resources first second make sure that we're saving americans are terrible at saving and we really need to make sure that we're getting to beyond the traditional rule of thumb of saving 10% ideal is saving between 15 and 20% next growing our balance sheet and that could be growing assets or reducing down our liabilities fourth we need to enjoy our money finance is not a four-letter word our goal is to help people free up their ability to enjoy their wealth, enjoy their money. This is not about save every penny, you know, be the ant that's constantly working because winter is coming. No, we need to be a little bit of the, uh, the grasshopper from the parable of the, the ant and the grasshopper and, and enjoy summer as well. Fifth is transferring. We don't get to take the money with us when we're gone. So making sure that we've got solid plans for what we want to have happen with our wealth when we're no longer here. If that's transferring it to the next generation, great. If it's seeing it go to various different charities, great. Whatever we want to have happen with our wealth, great. Let's do that. What's interesting is, you know, we, we were told this. I'm not going to take credit for it. It's Joe Pomeran mentioned this to us at a, at a conference we were at and essentially was, the question was asked why do you go to work why do people work and there's really two reasons for it it's meaning and money like every other example so far at least no one's been able to to show me differently at least is it falls under those two categories and it's not for money like money grubbing it's more of like look if you're not if you don't have an income coming in the door how are you living the life you want to live? You're living on the street, and I don't know many people that want that. 
Well, and making sure that you're taking care of your family and making sure that you're you're able to enjoy the level of success that you want. It's not being Scrooge. It's not you know sitting on a a mound of of gold. It's being able to to accumulate you know as much assets and wealth as you you really want to enjoy. And it's not one or the other. At least not for most people. It's generally both. Like the meaning, some people will could retire, or maybe they have retired, and they go get another job, and it's not for the money. It's it's because they enjoy it. The meaning behind it is what that, or the camaraderie that they get out of it. Right. I think my dad is now retired seven times. Right. So, you know, these these are the reasons why we work. Now let's take a standpoint of okay, so those are the reasons why we work and the income from the job allows us to do everything we want to do in life, frankly, right? Because if you don't have an income coming in the door, how are you building assets or paying down liabilities? How are you doing the work you wanna do? Even if you don't wanna make a lot of money and you just want to help a bunch of people, you still have to have something so you can feed yourself. Well, and the flip side of that is if you're working exclusively for money, and you don't believe in what you're doing or you hate what you're doing, you're going to burn out. It's you're spending a third of your time at work. If you don't enjoy that, whew, that's going to be a rough life. Yeah. Unfortunately, some people don't have a choice, but the fact is, is that the income is providing them the life that they want. Maybe they don't like their job, but they still hopefully are, are living a comfortable lifestyle. And so if our income or cash flow, you may hear us use those words interchangeably, is our greatest financial resource, like without it, you're not growing assets, you're not paying down the liabilities. If that is our greatest resource, would you want to protect it? Said another way, if you had a machine that printed $100,000 every single year without fail, would you put a lock on your door Absolutely. Absolutely. You probably dig a hole, build a safe around it, put some alligators around the safe. A couple dark guard dogs. Right. So maybe some sharks with freaking laser beams. <laughs> freaking laser beams. So we want to make sure that our income, if God forbid something happens, doesn't all of a sudden stop. 100%. And so. We have to protect from the threats. So some of you are probably asking or asking yourself, okay, that makes sense, but I can't protect it against everything, Ryan and Alex. And you're 100% correct. Like we could sit here all day long and think of the different threats to our income that are out there. Alien invasion, asteroids. Exactly. And that's a whole different story because maybe the US dollar doesn't even exist at that point. (laughs) However, where we always have people start or consider is protect Worst threats first. So worst threats first. What what do we mean by that? So this would be lawsuit. Well, let's go even more basic than that, Ryan. What can make your income go to zero? Or even just, I mean, imagine losing 25% of your income. How does that affect? Like maybe it doesn't affect your life, but you're not saving any more money. It's going to affect the future. Right. Sure. Exactly. So lawsuit. That's a, a big threat. 
if you were to drive a car, get in an accident and, and injure someone and that person could no longer go to work, they can sue you. And in the state of Washington, they can actually come after your income for up to 30 years. So when you're talking to your auto and home insurance agent, how are you looking at it from that perspective? Do we have an umbrella policy? What are we protecting? Do they know what your balance sheet even looks like? Well, and this is why you need good financial professionals that you're working with. So you, when you're talking with your auto and home person, it's not just throwing a random quote against the wall and seeing how we can reduce down costs. It's understanding what this stuff does for you and why you would want to have appropriate levels of coverage. What is appropriate levels of coverage? Having those types of conversations are, are critical. The next threat is disability or health concerns. So imagine getting sick. Like when you think about disability insurance, sometimes people think of the car accident where you become a quadriplegic. And yes, that can happen. More often than not, though, and the stats show it, it's more of sickness. Yeah, being the, the spreadsheet stat head that I am, 85% of claims are because of illness. And it's not even the illness that takes you out forever. Imagine, I mean, look at it this way. Have you ever had the flu? When you had the flu, could you go to work? And if you could, how effective were you? Now imagine having the flu for 12 months. First question out of, out, the first thing out of my mind is, could you even keep your job? Would you be fired? Even if you were showing up, how good would you be? And then B, if you couldn't go to work, the income lost over a 12 month time period, you're gonna drain all of your, possibly a big substantial amount of assets. Well, how long is it gonna take to recover the asset drain? Whether it's all of your assets or not all of your assets, just do the math on a, a, someone who's, you know, lost a hundred grand because that's what their income was for the year. Let's say that they were a world-class saver and saving 20% a year. Well, that's going to take them five years to rebuild that hundred grand and a sixth year to rebuild the lost time value of money on having lost that hundred grand to begin with. And maybe 10 more years by the debt that they took on. Right. So make sure that you're looking at protecting your income from a long-term disability type of threat. And then there's obviously the health side of, of things, right? You know, you can go to the gym, make sure you're taking care of your body, but make sure that your health insurance is covering you the way you want it to be covered. Yeah, 100%. And just getting a, a sense for like making in, intelligent decisions with, okay, why are we doing things this way versus that way? So it's not just a, Oh, crap. It's benefit season again. We got to sign up for something. What do we want our deductible to be again? Yeah. it. Look Again, you're going to hear this over and over again from us is looking at the entire picture, that a, a holistic approach to looking at your finances. And making the decisions intentional. And then the last big threat is premature death. Right. If something happens to if we've got a married couple and it doesn't matter if it's a breadwinner or not. If something happens to one of those people, that is and I hate to just only talk about income here. Obviously, when someone passes away, 
there's the emotional, there's a bunch of stuff that is there. But the whole purpose of life insurance, life insurance can't replace the person. Life insurance replaces the income that would have come in the door had that person been here and continue to work the rest of their working years. Or it's designed to make up for the added costs of now having to hire someone to take care of the kids, take care of the home, do the things that that person provided the family. Yeah, I mean, my wife does not have an income. And I can promise you this, if something happened to her, your life would become infinitely more expensive. Who's going to take care of my kids? Who's going to take care of my house? And and I'm not saying this, you know, it sounds like I'm, you know, she's some stereotypical homemaker. That, that That's not what this is all about. What my wife represents and does everything. She's got her job duties. I have my job duties. Her job is way more harder than my job. I have no question in my mind. Unfortunately, she doesn't get compensated from an income perspective so if i also had to do that i'm gonna have to pay someone to do it and that's gonna cost me money on top of do you think i'm going to work the very next day there's no way you're coming to work no the next day, Ryan. i'm not so what do i do so this you know a lot of people talk about burial costs and yes that is a huge cost don't get me even get me started on that the bigger cost is the income loss and or what that person was doing that you now have to pay someone to do for you in, in their stead. So protect from worse threats first. Start there. So next question should be is, okay, how much should we be protecting? It's and a great, great question. It doesn't have – there are a ton of different answers out there. And this is one of the things that we think is a fairly easy question to answer. When, when you protect your car, you're not protecting half your car, are you? Well, I'm just protecting my right wheel because I really enjoy that wheel. <laughs> of, of course you do. No, you're protecting the whole thing. You know, with your income, whether you're protecting it from disability or from premature death or, or your assets from lawsuit. We're using 100% of your income. Even if we're saving it, those dollars are being saved specifically for the, per, for the use in the future. They're going to turn into cash flow in the future. Right. So you should be asking yourself this question. How much of my income do I currently need? And unless you're taking a bunch of money and throwing it under your mattress or just lighting it on fire because you don't want it or need it, that's a great fire starter, right? Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> Unless you're doing that, you need every single penny that comes in the door from expenses to vacations to the savings that you're doing. Like, don't forget about the fact that as you're saving money, what's the purpose of saving money for your future self? So you need every dollar unless you're burning it. Need maybe a little bit of a strong term. We're, we're using it. Could we get buy on less? Yeah. Who here wants to voluntarily take a 20% pay cut or a 30% pay cut? I'm not going to volunteer for that. True. And I don't think many people will take a, I mean, most people that sit down with us don't say, hey, how do I live a lesser lifestyle? Right. So, again, how much should you protect? Well, how much of your income do you want to protect? Look at it from that perspective. Right. And, yes, there's costs involved. We're not going to sit here and pretend that, there's no cost involved. There is 100% cost involved. 
when you're looking at the cost, you should be comparing that to what is it you're protecting, and that allows you to look at it from the value standpoint of that. Okay, so I think we beat up the protection piece just a bit here. Let's move on to step two, which is save. And so oftentimes we get a question around really how much money should I be saving? And that is a great question. It depends on the individual. We would classify folks that are world-class savers as folks that are between 15 and 20%. I think we've got a couple clients that are up around 50 or 60% of their paychecks. Typically we see those as the outliers. They're either super early in their career and they've got a phenomenal offer coming right out of college and they don't have much lifestyle. They haven't bought their own home yet, things of that nature, or they're super late in their career and they're making up. Yeah. They're making up or their, their kids are done with, with college. They've paid off their house. And so they, they just have a whole bunch of extra money. And so they wind up saving a ton of it. It used to be, I mean, probably in the eighties and frankly, it's still there to some degree now around, you could save five or 10% because you could expect 12% in the market. And that would make up for your savings ratio, if you will. Well, heck, back in the 80s, you could get a 10% rate return just by sitting in a bank. Bond. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, that doesn't exist now. And can you really control what the market's going to do? 100% you can't. And so, we've spoken about financial balance in other podcasts. Another thing that you'll hear us talk about is control the controllables. I don't want my life to be dependent on whether or not the market does well. I want the market to help me, but I don't want to be completely dependent on it to make or break my retirement and my lifestyle now. I want to control what I can control, which I can control my savings. Yeah, we can absolutely control the rate at which we're saving. Now, we're talking about long-term time horizons, like 20, 30 years. We really have a fairly good idea as to what the market's going to do. That said, over the short term, one, two, three, four, five years, we don't necessarily have a great, great idea as to where the market's going to go. And the biggest reason is we don't, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what the future is going to be. And the direction the market goes is going to be a hundred percent dependent upon the news of tomorrow, whether it's a massive tax cut war, peace, treaties, a breakthrough in technology, Brexit. <laughs> that was a random one to throw in there. Just thought I'd throw that in there. The point is, is control what you can control and, and don't have the uncontrollable make or break you. Yeah. And a good portion of that goes to kind of the next topic of, all right, so we're saving 15 to 20% where yeah so the first part is and this kind of ties in with the protection piece where are your do you have an emergency fund or emergency reserve right and so you know the the question that we get is okay how much should be sitting there you know we we try to push our clients to have six to twelve months of expenses sitting in savings accounts so that so that they can actually have higher deductibles and other insurance products. So it does save them a little bit of money there, but you can also collateralize and have that money sitting there 
to collateralize your other assets and be able to be maybe more riskier with other assets because that money's there. It also allows for opportunities. The The Great Recession of 2008, that wasn't a collapse of anything. That was simply a massive amount of no liquidity combined with a, a bad a bad job of predicting where things were going to go. And because nobody had liquidity and folks were levered up so high, whether it was individuals and their mortgages doing things like option arms and, you know, negative amortization loans, zero down payments, or whether it was companies that were leveraging themselves 15 to one, 20 to one, 30 to one, it doesn't take a whole lot of bad to wipe out all of your equity when you're levered 30 to one. Exactly. So if you had a bunch of cash and you see the real estate goes plummeting down, what could you do with the cash to maybe take advantage of that situation? I have a few friends that made a few million dollars in real estate by having cash and being able to see the opportunity. So, this whole, well, I don't want a bunch of, I don't want a lot of money sitting in my emergency reserve because of a rate of return. Again, you got to look at the entire picture. You're right. You're not going to get a, t a big rate of return with money sitting in your savings account. However, that money there allows your other money to work harder for you. It might also be, you know, that, uh, you know, Bill Gates or the next Bill Gates is sitting two cubicles down from you and says, Hey, I've got this small company. I'm looking for some startup capital. You interested in being a part of it? Yep. It, you just don't know what's going to happen. And again, cash is king. Always will be. Balance, flexibility, the ability to seize upon opportunities. So we hope action items for you today is... A, kind of order of operations in terms of what, what you're making money, how, how do you address your finances? And the first step is protect your income, make sure that they, that income is never going to stop coming in the door. Second part is focus on saving. 15 to 20% allows you to control what you can control and having that money go into emergency reserve, not only for the oh crap scenario, but also to take advantage of opportunities. And for those of you that are astute, you'll realize that we only covered two out of the five uh, uh, order of operations. We're splitting this one up into two, two parts for the podcast. Tune in next week where we'll tackle part two of now that I'm making money, what do I do with it? We'll tackle growing your balance sheet, enjoying your wealth, and transferring your wealth. Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, and Concord Financial Partners, and opinions stated by their own. Guardian and subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. LSJ 3585 Maple Street, number 140, Contreras, California, 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, fully owned subsidiary of Guardian. 
Qualified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. The Living Balance Sheet and the LES logo are service marks of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Copyright 2005-2019, Guardian. Guardian does not issue nor advise for auto, homeowners, umbrella, or health insurance. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Number 2019-83105, expiration 07-2021.